Hey guys, welcome back to the Rhythm Section, presented as always by the Mind Refinery. This week we're talking new music from Ariana Grande and taking a deep dive into the new album, The Song Machine Season 1, Strange Times by the Gorillas. If you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and if you have time, follow the Mind Refinery on social media. And now, on with the show. Alright guys, here with me to talk about the notable music of the past week is the lyrical assassin, Coburn Blair. How's it going? It's going good, Coburn. How are you? Not doing too bad. Another gloomy day in the city uh, amidst uh, more talks of quarantine. But last week, uh, last Friday, Ariana Grande dropped the title track from her upcoming album, which drops uh, at this point, this upcoming Friday. Uh, So in terms of the uh, new Ariana Grande track positions in the video, like, what did you think about it? I'm not like a huge Ariana Grande fan. Um, I'm probably out of her target demographic. Uh, that said, I thought the song was pretty good. Um, from a pop standpoint, it's not something I'm going to go back and listen to, though. <laughs> uh, I mean, I like the track. I think her music is best, you know, when it has that deep bass bump and grind. You know, it kind of reminds me of the stuff she's putting out on Sweetener. I mean, I I, I would agree with you that uh, I'm not uh, in that target demographic, but... You know, I think she does a good job of having the right people around her that accentuate her weaknesses, but absolutely, like, bring out her talent as an artist. Uh, that's why I do think her albums are consistently getting more mature and savvy. Like, uh, Off Sweetener, that was the first one I would say I would be able to listen to. And I mean, that isn't an indictment of her talent. That's an, not, and it's just, it's not, uh, you know, it's just not my thing. But, uh, you know, her work gets better. Uh, she's obviously become one of the biggest artists in the pop lexicon right now. And, um... It's kind of always an event when she puts out an album because you get the, you know, I would expect, fully expect the usual SNL treatment, uh, you know, whether it's performance or, you know, guest starring. And, um, you know, I think she's, I, I think the music has gotten more, you know, influenced by, you know, hip hop and, 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 and house. And I think the, the, one of the good things about, you know, hip hop ascending into that mainstream position is it starts to filter down into other music and, you know, it's really kind of changed pop. So I, f- I feel like that's a big reason why some of these tracks that people like you and I who aren't into it, you know, who are starting to enjoy it a bit, you know, as to why that is happening. Do, do we think there's too much output from Ariana Grande, though, at this point? Like, this is her third album in as many years. Yes. Absolutely. I, I, I think that, listen, I'm not into the whole, I, I can't even say I'm not into it. I just don't know if the releasing multiple albums in a year is always great. You know what I mean? Like, Hetty One did well with it this year, uh, putting out two albums. Both of them were very good, um, and you're going to hear that upcoming review soon. But yeah, I mean, like, how like how do you feel about that? Like, are we getting too much Ariana Grande? And then is there a pop music pressure to, like, for artists like her to keep putting out albums? Well, I think so. Well, I think it's it's interesting to look at someone, like, outside of, you know, our, the genres that we've kind of, like, become known for reviewing, and we're looking into pop a little bit more. And this is, like, not Taylor Swift pop, where... I think this is more like pure pop where Taylor Swift is pop, but she has outside influences that um, transcend into her work. Where this, I think, is very like kind of label manufactured pop in a big way. So I think you had a time period where pop 
had had more to breathe and kind of become one with the culture but everything in these days is very like you know hyper fast um instantaneous um and delivered right away um so i think with pop music it changes the way that you listen to it and it changes the way that that it influences the culture because it doesn't have as much staying power anymore kind of like you're on to the next one and you're competing in a space against so many other pop artists who are trying to make the same record that you're trying to make but before you do so I think it results in a lot of the pop music kind of sounding, you know, like it was made by the same people or same producers kind of moving across or producers trying to sound like other producers. And I think it kind of like maybe makes the, the genre as a whole kind of suffer. That's why I'm kind of wondering what's going to happen with this album that she's going to drop, because I do agree with that. Although I've started, as I said, to enjoy her albums a little bit more at the end of the day. It's not something I'm listening to heavy, but if something comes on the radio i'm a little bit more you know well me and my girlfriend are in the car i'm a little bit more inclined to listen to it and maybe enjoy it um i loved it when mac miller was collaborating with her i think that maybe he also their relationship had a musical impact on her because you know he fancies himself more as an art he fancied himself more as an artist and um i i I think that's the thing and when you're one of these kind of manufactured pop stars uh, it's how you separate yourself from that manufacturing. And she surrounds herself with good people that have kind of pushed the needle on the music. But, like, I do agree that, you know, we're not going to... Like, if we look at folklore dropping, I'm pretty sure that's going to be number one on people's albums list. I'm almost positive that when, you know, when they look at it, it's going to be like Phoebe Bridgers. It's going to be, um, you know, it's going to be Taylor Swift and... I'm, I don't think that, you know, uh, the Ariana Grande drop has the same, you know, mojo. Like, but from a pop sense, is this the, you know, the most high-profile release beyond Taylor Swift? I th- it, like, it honestly might be, you know. You, we know Ariana Grande's pedigree. We know how much she kind of means to the industry. Um, we know she's under Scooter Braun, obviously, who is a mastermind in this space. Did, did Is Justin Bieber dropping this year, too? I can't remember. I know uh, that I, he just dropped I believe a... so. I, I think he already dropped it. Yeah, because he already dropped a track. That's usually the, uh, you know, the... That's usually the feeler. I, I think... He, I mean, I can't see Scooter Braun having his artist going through this quarantine without, you know, making it effectual from a business standpoint. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I think this will be an album that matters to the demographic that it's targeting. I, I'm wondering, too, you know, it's dropping like a week or a couple of days before the election, if that will really have any opinion or impact on like this album's legacy. It could get drowned out. I, I think from a media standpoint, like it's hard to put anything out that won't get, get drowned out. But then again, you know, the people who are living and dying and caring about this election on CNN or wherever online, I don't think are the same people who, you know, are waiting for this album to drop. And I don't think like the segments really intersect that much. I think obviously at this point a Taylor Swift album is the biggest you know pop release that can happen right now, as uh, she's kind of ascended. I mean, other than Beyonce, I think it's Taylor Swift and Beyonce. Um, but yeah, I, I think the election is going to weigh heavy in terms of what happens and how it's perceived and um, how much media time and I you know and and energy goes into it. But you know, I want to move on. The Gorillas just dropped an album, and that's kind of always uh, you know a, a special thing. The, it's a it's it's a 
album music video in their uh, multimedia world as usual. Song Machine Season 1 Strange Times. The Gorillas and specifically Damon Albarn are hard to peg from a contextual sense. What is your opinion about the Gorillas and, you know, the idea of a digital band? Was What is their influence on the way bands are packaged and presented? Well, I mean, I think that the Gorillas, like, gave us this multimedia kind of world to live in before, you know, media was fully, you know, in, all, only on the internet before it's fully, like, lived in any one place. Um, so I think they were you know, at the forefront of so many different things. And it's like, I remember when I found out about the Gorillas, I didn't know, you know, who Damon Albarn was. I didn't really, like, get everything. You know, I was like, there's a cartoon band, but, like, who's the actual, the actual band? And then you'd hear, like, you know, verses from, you know, rappers that I liked and stuff, and I kind of didn't fully understand it. It was the iPod era. I just went with it. Um, so now kind of looking back at that and looking, you know, at all the genres there were, encapsulating like in some ways they're like the perfect millennial band because they encapsulate so much of of our era of our era and they have you know so much outsized influence and they incorporated so many different genres that we all kind of came up on and they fused them together and they gave us this like digital package for it as well Uh, yeah i don't know there's i think there's a lot there there's a lot to them you know, when you listen to the first Gorillaz album and the corresponding art, it kind of feels like a statement of intent. Uh, on Inside the Actors Studio, so Dave Chappelle said he chose the infamous uh, white supremacist, uh, black, black white supremacist sketch, the Clayton Bigsby sketch, uh, to, to kind of start Chappelle's show because it was this thesis statement of the show. If you could handle that sketch and thought it was funny, then you'd love the rest of the show. I kind of feel the first Gorillaz album was the same thing. It was kind of a statement of intent um this is what we're gonna do we have dell the funky homo sapien on it and like as soon as i heard rock the house like that trumpet part coming in and then just his flow and the bass is just bumping and i remember like being a teenager working at jack astor's and we'd be like in the parking lot smoking joints after work like banging that album and it was just so fucking good and i was just into it so quickly and i think that you know, being a Blur fan, it was, you know, I, it's funny because I grew up listening to Blur. I listened to Park Life and, you know, that, that was it. I was, I was hooked for that band. But from that album on, I feel like they really embraced how unabashedly English they were. Although I will say, uh, in the Heady One, uh, review, I blame the talking parts of Park Life for kind of ruining my initial uh, thoughts of British hip hop. But then I kind of got out of that ignorant ass space. Uh, you know, they embraced how unabashedly English they were, and, you know, they dueled with Oasis for Britpop supremacy. But my favorite Damon Albarn is the Gorillas. You know, Blur were rooted in a specific sound, and there's an expectation that comes with that, and the Gorillas seem like a reaction to that. Something that kind of embraces Albarn's musical love and the need to collaborate, uh, kind of, but it doesn't feel like a side project. I think this could have felt like a side project right from the very beginning, but, you know, he put it front and center, and it just became this this other thing and i think he's listen anytime you are in a band that has is iconic um you it creates almost like a box that you have to stay in but this idea of coming up with um you know working with hewitt and 
and putting together this like digital band, it was the perfect way to shed all of that stuff and completely do away with it and his other persona. And I remember when they first came out, you know, they were very kind of tight lipped and, you know, didn't show a lot of themselves, you know, really until they were on Letterman for Demon Days, to be honest with you. Um, but like, I, I, I think that they've kind of embraced the idea of you have to be into more media than just the music. You have to like, think about what is, you know, what are the visuals? What are the, what is the perception? What is the packaging? And can you use that to help push your own artistic needle? Well, I think, yeah, like they were doing that. And now that's the standard for every single act that has, you know, come up in this, you know, new landscape, right? There's not, you know, you can't get away with not doing videos. You can't get away with not packaging an album or a project, you know, or having like a digital record for it anymore. So they were, you know, ahead of all this and they were delivering it to people who maybe didn't understand it at the time. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't I never really considered like Blur and the Gorillas like, you know, I always kept them separate in my head and it didn't seem like Gorillaz was a side project to me. And I wasn't like, I didn't grow up on, on Blur as much, so I didn't really connect the two ever. What were your initial thoughts on this album? I, I was blown away. I really, I really, really enjoyed this album. I, I didn't even know it was coming out, to be honest. I remember, I think we kind of discussed it briefly and then it was out and then I was really blown away by it. It somehow pulls you in different musical directions, but walks a fine line at the same time. You know, it's so difficult to walk that line too. Albarn doesn't let it, you know, doesn't let all the different musical directions and features get away from him, which further shows his talent as a songwriter and band leader, to be honest, and an impresario. I, I think that his ability to do, I think that him as the band leader is great because he's so open musically. Um, he's into so many different things. He also understands English music because you're seeing a lot of English artists here and he's dipping back into punk. You know, there's like moments where he's, it almost sounds like Supergrass, and it's, it, it, it's really crazy. You know, there's, there are moments of like infectious and danceable songs and that they're slow and melancholy. Then it's like you've snapped into North London and you're getting a taste of UK hip hop, but then fucking you're seeing schoolboy q and jpeg mafia and gold link and they're bringing the more american flow but it like totally works well and uh but we even get it as i said we even go in you know momentary bliss takes us into a more punk sounding uh situation and like here's some of the fe like here's i mean we're gonna get into the features but just off the top here are some of the features that are fe on this so we got robert smith from the cure yep beck saint vincent fucking skepta elton john jpeg mafia which was the most surprising one i saw schoolboy q peter hook from joy division and new order fame earth gang so dreamville is getting into this shit um fucking uh kano is here trying to get his food you know he's this is fantastic like i was really kind of blown away by just the amount of people uh that were on this but also the diversity and the way the music kind of meshes together at the same time so do you think this stands out from a normal, like, uh, from a different Gorillaz album, like, in terms of f the features, or do you think this is, like, par for the course, or were, you, were so, anything, like, genuinely surprise you, um, considering, okay, like, so what they've like, done in the past? Yeah, I mean, when you look at the first Gorillaz album, there's features on it, but, you know, it starts to, but there's, it's still mostly them, kind of, and then when it moves into Demon Days, it's, you know, you're starting to see, 
like Sean Ryder from you know the Happy Mondays, uh, Ike Turner's on it, and um, you know you're starting to feel like you're starting to see more individuals from it. He's mining from you know the British British culture from for music and like American soul, but then you know there's hip hop as well. But it's still you know mostly those. It's mostly, you know, within the band that they put together. But as they keep going, I think he sees it more as a vehicle for features and to have more people on in to make it a more collaborative effort, you know, as you're moving into, like, beyond Plastic Beach and into, you know, into later albums like Humans where it's, like, heavy features and you're, you know, you're seeing features by, like, George Benson and, like, Vince Staples and it's starting to get more kind of eclectic. I think I was surprised... I mean, the Elton John thing was surprising. Um, Peter Hook was surprising as well. I'm a huge Joy Division fan, and I'm a huge New Order fan, and having these individuals on it. The Earth Gang, I was like, that was so random. Um, do you, you, know, do you I, have the, the quintessential Joy Division tattoo, though? It's questioned. I do not have the Joy, I do not have the quintessential Joy Division tattoo. I do, uh, have, however, have a copy of um, Joy Division Live from Brixton, the, Brixton Academy on Pink Vinyl. Uh, it's fantastic. I'm a, you know, obviously I, I feel like Joy Division has, it's super important. It's a little dark, so I'm not listening to it as much as I used to. I lean more on the uh, New Order situation. And I saw Peter Hook and his band, The Light, as well. And, you know, they were they were incredible. And they're talented guys. They are, I mean, they were at the birth of the post-punk movement and moved English music firmly into electronic. Um, and I, I think that... That was kind of surprising. St. Vincent and Beck. I mean, like, a lot of it was surprising because, like, it's not just... The features have been from bigger and bigger people as we've been going along uh, throughout their albums. So there was cool... Like, there's super cool collective features, again, like Del the Funky Homo Sapien. But this... Danger Mouse, I loved on... Uh... Okay, so that's... For me, I mean, we're going to get into favorite records. That is... I, I think Demon Days is probably their best album because it's just so tight and that is due to danger mouse and you feel that danger mouse production and he's able to weave in and out of uh more hip-hop influence stuff but then you're seeing on like oh green world where they're dipping right into punk and you know you hear those slashing telecasters and you know but danger mouse i mean he's one of my favorite producers he's he's i love the i love his style i mean his stuff with mf doom is fucking danger doom is fantastic so like i i mean danger i'd love to see another album with them in danger mouse with him as like the executive producer kind of overseeing all these different things but at the same time it's it, it's like there was a moment in time where i think other than like okay computer demon days really kind of grabs what the feeling of the increasingly technological world and losing bits of yourself to technology feels like and i thought that was very good and it's like a great concept album i think i i think i would agree with that i think you know for the time period and even now it still sounds like it uh, it just connects i think in a, in a very like visual way um that i think has outlasted a lot of the music from from that era absolutely i i think it definitely transcends era I want to get. I want to talk about these tracks. You know, these big name collaborations, standout tracks, favorite collabs. Like, like, what, what do you think? What, what stood out to you? I really like Dead Butterflies, and that might be just due to my Kano bias. Kano's great. Yeah, he's great. Also, I like Octavian a lot. So, like, those were the two ones that like I really like stood out to me. I was really surprised at having like Elton John and, and uh, Six Lack, or as he prefers to be called, Black on the same track on a. Uh, 
Pink Phantom. The Skeptic track as well. Like I can't deny having Skepta on it. Um, again, that's probably my British. What did you think? What did you think? Of that? Let's talk about that specifically. Like, what did you think about his, you know, the verse and everything? I I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I thought it was like a little bit. Um, I don't know, just a little bit of, like out of left field. I think for me. Um, and I didn't expect to see them work together on a album ever. It didn't really like ever connect with, like in my head. It wouldn't have been like you know like obviously the British. Because I feel like Gorillaz on one hand is an homage to British music and its connectivity with American music. And I think that's how I kind of look at the project on a whole. And, you know, it covers a lot of different genres, um, time periods, eras, and it is focused on all these different disparate elements um, and somehow fuses them together in this kind of, uh, you know, cartoonish world. I mean, I love the Skepta verse i mean pour one out for our homie tony allen who's on the track as well uh uh afrobeat pioneer who, who uh albarn worked on worked on the good the bad and the queen so it was great to see uh you know that get in there again skeptic was another one i didn't even think about but like it makes sense now that one seeing the rest of the individuals on this but also like you said it, it's a homage to British music and I and I like how it links with you know American music and it finds a place that fits and it doesn't sound forced and it's just kind of this whole thing. What else, what other features did you like? Um, I'm a big I like Gold Link as well. Um, I really enjoyed uh, the opening with Robert Smith. Um, I don't I probably have to go see kind of like what my connection is to the Cure. But um, I enjoyed that one as well. I think those are kind of my favorite. I'm also I don't know. There's so many songs that I liked on this. Like, feel like I can't not mention um, like track five with Saint Vincent. What did you think about Momentary Bliss, the slow tie feat? I really like that one. I'm a big slow tie fan. I I like how he's becoming ingrained on a wider scale, and he's connecting with audiences. It's been like. Really interesting to see his growth from um, like the kind of Britain was never great campaign to see him like we've seen him, I think, on what, like three albums that we've reviewed this year so far. Um, so to see his kind of like ascension into the mainstream and like I always like his verses are very like they're well thought out. Right. He's a very gifted writer, I think. So, yeah, I definitely I definitely enjoyed that one. And, and I think it's an important nod for them to have tapped him for, for this album. This was my favorite track on the whole album, this slow tie feature. I love how, when I said it kind of gets into these eras of like super grass sounding kind of things, this is the track too, because it really alternates between like hip hop and then getting into that, you know, bouncy English punk. And it just, it was so good. And I was so hyped on it. I'm like bouncing around to it. And slow tie is great. I, I wonder if we're ever going to get to the point where it's the obligatory slow tie uh, uh, feature. Uh, much like our friend Little Wayne, Little Wayne and uh, uh, Rick Ross, uh, his writing is fantastic. Again, unabashedly British, it really kind of works with this, and um, it's just it was the first song I really heard off it. I'm like, oh, it's a little tie. Okay, let's check it out, and it was just fantastic. I love Aries featuring Peter Hook. I go to bat for Peter Hook, um, as I've been saying. I do enjoy the uh, the pink uh, the pink phantom featuring Elton John in black. What do you think about the Schoolboy Q feature? I, I think for me, it kind of marked like a turning point in this album. 
like a little bit because I was like, I feel like you know Robert Smith and Beck and even like the Lee John feature, um, tracks one, two, and three. I knew Schoolboy was gonna be on here. I kind of expected him to kind of come a little bit later on in the album. I really liked it. I'm a big Schoolboy fan. I'm excited to see where he kind of goes next in his career, and I like to see him doing something like this, which, you know. I kind of want to say it's out of his ballpark, but he has like shown like he's very um, willing to experiment and to try new things. So it wasn't that far from like his wheelhouse, but I enjoyed it. Pa- Pac Man, that was good. What did you did you notice Mike Dean's production on Momentary Bliss though? To go back to that, no, actually I did not. That is fantastic. Yeah, it was cool. Mike like Dean. when I was looking at the credits, I was like, oh, Mike Dean pops up again, and like obviously you know his kind of like. Um, pedigree and who he's worked with and to see him pop up here I thought it was really cool do you think like the school like artists like schoolboy Q who have a particular sound although he leaves some open room for it I think because he's more of a he's not rooted in anything particular is still you know still young do you think like for artists looking to change the way they're perceived and you know, introduce some like. Do you think this is a good avenue for working with someone like David Albarn? Well, yeah, I think I think the, the Gorillas has been that I think to a lot of people because I think there's at least for me since like um, Classic Beach or Demon Days. I can't remember which one I heard first, but like just in introducing people who are fans of other genres to new worlds, and I think the Gorillas does a really good job at that because because. If you're a punk fan, there's stuff in the Gorillaz you can enjoy. If you're a rap fan, there's stuff in the Gorillaz you can enjoy. If you're a fan of electronic music, there's stuff that you you can find to enjoy in the Gorillaz. So I think having that openness um, is kind of embedded in their work. Yeah, also it gets them working. I mean, they've kind of settled on a producer. It's Remy Kabaka Jr., um, which is why I was like, I overlooked that the the presence of the Mike Dean on Momentary Bliss, because I had assumed improperly that Kabaka had produced the whole thing, but he produces most of it. Um, it gets you working with another producer who is completely, like, I feel like he's completely different than the producers that, like, Schoolboy Q would work with and such. And it kind of gets you that new sound. And, I mean, these kind of things are always these big net- networking things. You know what I mean? Um, and ways to get in there. But one thing I like about this is it's a labor of love as well as, you know, something that is well thought out. And, you know, I, I think that's always the selling point to people like Schoolboy Q, JPEG Mafia, um, Earth Gang, who where it's a little bit off the beaten path for them, but it's it, it opens them up to, a, you know, a much bigger musical world. Yeah, I think it it gives, it, it, yeah, it, it's a good introduction. And I think it also kind of solidifies your place in your genre as like, you know, you're being seen as a cap captain of your industry, you know, to be tapped, to be put on this album. I think, the, I think also, you know, is this album is a, I think that the gorillas almost expands and gets more rel, even more relevant as time goes on. Because like, do you feel that like genres, you know, they're starting to kind of like peel away a bit. And everything's becoming even more and more blurred. Yeah, I think there is somewhat of a kind of cultural melting pot that the internet has kind of made the norm, made standard, right? There's, you know, like you, I kind of relate this back to like watching much music where like, you know, you had different programming depending on like, you know, if you wanted to see pop stuff, you kind of like 
know what when to watch your pop stuff if you wanted to see rap you know what the rap hour is going to be what the rock hour is going to be and, and such whereas i think now because the internet kind of produces at such a wide scale um you get a little bit of everything like it's all kind of coming in at the same time together people are kind of exposed to more now and they're a little bit more open to the ideas of other genres and they can see how those genres influence what they're doing I think electronic music as a common denominator has also allowed for this to happen. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, right? Like electronic music, I mean, you know, most music is made electronically. So even the kind of the term and the catch-all phrase is electronic music. Like most music at some point is electronic music. There's not too many people like cutting stuff on like, you know, vinyl reels or whatever anymore to kind of have that as a basis that kind of bridges the gap between like electronic made hip hop and electronic made rock and, you know, all these other different things. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I mean, with this album, you're seeing, you know, as I said, you're seeing Beck, you're seeing gold link, you're seeing uh, Kano, you're seeing Schoolboy Q, you're seeing Elton John. And like the common thread that's, is that this is a album that is, is not heavy on analog instrument. You know what I mean? Like it's a lot of synths and it's a lot of um you know sequencers and things like that and that is able to kind of tie it in and i think that's why you know music that is built with synthesizers and you know that kind of thing and has you know kind of ascended into what's going on because it's almost like it allows well one thing i mean the process of using making electronic music democratizes i think the process of making music too because um most people have a computer and most people, you know, and if you can, you know, if you have some musical sense, but maybe never wanted to play guitar or something like that, it's, you know, it kind of brings you into it. And as a result, you can kind of, it's a musical language that you can speak to multiple artists and everyone kind of, kind of gets it, so to speak. Yeah, right. Because it, it, it transcends like these people in different, across different genres are, are using the same DAWs. They're, they're using the same programs to make music. So yeah, I think there's a commonality and a, a language uh, barrier that kind of is removed by it. How do we feel about the visuals from this album, the the videos? I mean, I'm always a big fan of Gorilla's videos, and obviously because, you know, they're a virtual band in some, so many ways, they can do so much more with the visuals. What do you, like, what's the process like for directing, like, a virtual video? Like, is it a lot more involved? Is it, like, what, you know, what is it, what's different? I th- I think with this, uh, Jamie, I think Jamie Hewlett, like most like animators, like just begins at the drawing and and structuring level. Like, I think it's, you know, everything just starting as drawings. I think they've obviously gotten a little bit more advanced in their, you know, in the animation because the animation was super rooted in 2D before where it was just, whereas now it's, you know, incorporating more 3D elements, um, I love that they decided to do like an animated season for it and then curated like an album too. Cause like technically, I mean, we're rating a lot of tracks on like kind of the deluxe edition, yeah. which is extended, you know, up to the, uh, up to the Skepta track. But I think the original is 11 and then I am pretty sure is it seven parts, the music video. And it's just really fucking good stuff. And, you know, they were super on point with, tr- in terms of choosing the tracks they were going to use at first, I must admit the whole. I mean, at the end of the day, I must at, at the beginning, the whole digital band thing to me felt like a gimmick when I was younger, right? Because I didn't fully understand. You know, I'm a young kid. I'm expecting. Um, 
a band to sound like the previous band. So I'm like, I'm hearing the gorilla. I'm like, okay, the gorillas are coming out. This is probably going to sound like Blur because I like Blur. I'm going to like the gorillas. So at first I'm like, what the fuck are the gorillas? And why is there no, like, why are they a cartoon and like all this kind of stuff. But as I got older, I started to realize that there is weight carry, you know, that you carry being in a band like Blur. So people have expectations because it's Blur and it's going to sound like this. And, you know, and then song two makes that even worse because all of a sudden they're broken out into the uh, mainstream American audience and people are like, this is the expectation. And then when the gorillas comes out, it completely changes anything and it's used as a way to expand creative horizons and uh it gives you anonymity uh and you know and and it makes complete sense because it allows you to just get rid of all the other stuff the the baggage that you come with as an artist i think for damon albarn that was probably really suffocating just because of how open he is how much different music he listens to how much he brings to the table and you know i always loved the animation i thought it was stylistically cool but i feel like jamie uh hewlett is taking this to another level and while Albarn continues to prove his vision Hewlett does as well and they've gotten even better at making it like the same vision you know what i mean yeah they almost create they almost create like a mini album with the the like they curate like a mini album with the with the videos no yeah i think you're right like i think their like their vision has become more homogenous than i mean that like in the best way where it's become you know a, a oneness and and there's I think there's a lot of intention to everything that that they do, and I think it it's just becoming more and more clear. And like, I think as I got older, I didn't real I didn't know if like the Gorillas was gonna be something that kind of continued on. Like I didn't know if it was like you know kind of a like in the way we were talking about earlier, like if it was a side project. So to- I never knew it would last this long. If you told me the Gorillas are gonna last until I was 36, I would have been like, I don't believe. It. Yeah, like I, I there's no I thought like. I thought they were going to be done. Like, I didn't think it would last this long. So to see it, like, you know, still being a way that um, Damon Albarn can, you know, express his creativity. Then, you know, they're still finding ways to innovate and people to collaborate with. And it still feels fresh and new. And I, I wonder, you know, for the new Gorillaz listener, if they kind of connect to the music in the same way that I did in 2003 and 2004. I'm wondering if how they would feel dipping back into those albums. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's that's a really good question, but I I think like in my mind it still that stuff still sounds really fresh and it still sounds like you know you could put it out now, today and it would connect. So I don't know. That's a that's a good question. Also, we still have more because I, I, I I think they're they're doing for the full eleven uh, because the original eleven tracks. So I mean we've we're, I think episode seven was released on October first. So we still have. Uh, episode eight, which I believe is going to be Valley of the Pagans coming out. Um, I think it was leaked actually as well. And, you know, I thought these were really, really, really good. And also you can kind of tell in them that some of like, some of the stuff was recorded. Well, I mean, obviously I believe it was animated over the course of the, um, you know, of the pandemic, but also like, you know, it's there, like on the, so I really like episode five, which is the schoolboy Q which is the schoolboy Q episode. And like, clearly he filmed it with a GoPro while he was recording it in his home studio. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? So there was a little bit of that. And then they do, they add like digital effects uh, to him and his, as he's like rapping and they, they put cartoons around him and stuff like that. And 
I thought it was really good. I mean, I love the Ares, uh, Ares, which is the episode two, the Peter Hook, the the Peter Hook feature. Honestly, though, again, uh, momentary bliss. The uh, the opening, you know, the, a part one, which I thought was really cool that they opened with that because it like makes so much sense. As um, because on the deluxe edition, it isn't the first track, I don't believe. But I really liked how they kind of felt that it would be a good way to no strange times is the opening track they thought it would be a really good way to kind of kick off this almost like album within an album and recurate the videos which i thought kind of had was like a smart move because the way you're consuming it is completely different than just like an album in your ears so what did you think of like you know i don't know if we've talked about this before but the idea of a deluxe edition that actually feels like a deluxe edition in this case because i feel like a lot of times with like the streaming era like people you know give you a new cover and they give you two new songs or three new songs and then they kind of get another press cycle on an album but like this actually feels like you know there's another chunk of of good music that's important that's on the second half or the deluxe second edition or disc two or whatever you want to call it this is like one of a handful of albums in music history where i'm like i the deluxe edition has a point yeah you know what i mean like even back when i would you know when i was just spending all my paychecks on cds as a teenager and in my you know early 20s having to fucking pay extra for the deluxe edition pissed me off because i don't want four demo extra demos like why am i paying for that why am i paying for five extra demos like there's some that have been you know have been good but i gotta pay for a deluxe edition of who's next when i just want to listen to this you know what i mean yeah i don't care about some of this you know some of the stuff i kind of want the i mean uh, at times i do enjoy kind of listening to the process stuff but at the other at the same time i don't like I, I don't need my money to go to it so at least like now that they're coming out digitally you're kind of you know you're not doing it ad hoc you're but you're just kind of paying for a whole service so you can kind of explore it but like these were thought into it like i mean the fucking skepta track is uh is an extra you know is a is on the deluxe edition the jpeg mafia it's really good. It's cool that those are on there, and they're they've we've listed them as favorite tracks. You know. What yeah. I, mean? uh, I wonder what the point is of of doing deluxe edition when is it like a time thing where it's like oh like it almost seems like it doesn't really make much sense in this day and age to do it because like when I go to you know search for this on whatever streaming DSP site, it's gonna come you know as one like I, there's not like a reason that I'd go back to listen to the standard edition. I don't think. Okay, so here's my thoughts on it. I think that it's that the fact it is still on streaming services for this is that is reveals more that this was just a cash grab when it, when people were buying physical copies. Yeah. Oh, that's because these, like a lot of it again is just like demos and stuff like that. And like, because you're seeing the album listing, like what I, you know what I mean? Like you're seeing the track listing when you're buying the, when you're buying the, the album, but you're really looking at it. So, I mean, like, having a deluxe edition now, to me, it just feels like making sure that people don't know that, like, that people, sorry, not that don't know, that people know these aren't part of the album proper, right? So you get reviewers like, us, why is there so many tracks? It's like, well, no, five of them are demos. Yeah. And I'm just like, why does that, like, why is that on it? So, I mean, the demos are cool. Like, I, I almost appreciate it more in streaming because I don't have to, I don't have to foot the, I don't have to foot the bill for it. Yeah, you know? you're not paying like, an extra, like eight bucks or whatever to get demos so if i'm and especially when it starts expanding into two disc deluxe editions and stuff like that 
So if I'm going into the two disc deluxe edition, I'm paying like at least four, let, let's say at the low level, four more dollars. If I bought three CDs and they're all deluxe editions, it costs extra money. I could have bought another CD for that. Especially if you're hitting HMV, that's another $12. You do the fucking two for $10. Uh, to, you know, you know what I mean? Like I could have, so for me, I kind of hate the deluxe editions, especially, especially when it's like back in the day you go to, you know, a record store and you'd be trying to find an obscure, because obviously like the more, what happens is when they price these things out, especially, you know, when they priced these things out is that, uh, if I'm buying nine inch nails, the, um, I can easily find a copy of pretty hate machine for on like the two for 15 or the two for 20 or like whatever. Right. Yeah. But when I start going to like broken and fixed, they know that the junkies listen to that. So they're $28. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then like you're adding the extended edition. And so it's just the whole thing. I, I have a definite inborn prejudice towards the deluxe edition because I do agree with you that it's pointless, but like in a digital form, I'm kind of okay, but I'm like, just call it the album because you can just label it. Right. And the and the track listing is front and center when you get an album. Like sometimes when I get an album back in the day, I grab it, I know what's on it, and I just throw it on. And then as I listen to the songs, I kind of look at it, but I'm like, well, what the fuck is this? So that is my large rant on deluxe editions and how generally, just call it a regular, just call it a regular, just call it the album. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And put bonus tracks onto it. Yeah. Even even like the bonus track, like in parentheses, it's like, well, what's the point? It, it, we're getting the song regardless. It doesn't feel like a bonus. Like I'm paying you know, the same nine ninety nine per month to Spotify. Like, where's, what's the bonus? Like, does it come with a free t-shirt? It doesn't. Yeah, they're just, they're just making sure that you don't judge it. They're like that, like you don't judge the curation of the album at that point. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think they should just create like a rarities and thing pile for it. You know, I don't know. I think that you, it can be curated differently. Where does this stand in the discography of the gorillas? So I think this is my most dreaded question um, that I knew was coming. Uh, I, I I honestly can't say because I I think like I rank like Demon Days really high. Uh, Plastic Beaches probably my number two. I think I have Humans over the Fall. I saw the Now Now tour. I think this is better to me than Now Now, and I think this is as good or maybe better than Humans. When you saw them on the Now Now tour. How were they handling features and stuff like that? Were they did they bring people with them? Like, tell me about that. I feel left out of this. Uh so the Now Now tour, uh, went to see because like the internet was opening for them. Um, it was at ACC, so I wanted to see the internet as well. So mostly it was like digital, mostly like obviously very digital stage, and there wasn't like that many features that came out. I think it was like a smaller, a smaller tour than some of the other ones that they had done. Like, I remember, like... the That makes sense. It's one of their feature later. Yeah, like, the venue was pretty light as well. They had, like, some other really good people at, like, other places, but, um... Like, the tour list was really cool, but it didn't come together in the same way that I thought it might. And I definitely want to see them, I think, more at, like, a maybe European festival or, like, a headlining-type show, like, if they did Coachella or something like that. I think that would yeah. be where you'd want to think... go see them. I have the their live in Manchester uh, DVD. Yeah, I got that a while ago. It's on the Demon Days tour, and it's really cool because you, everyone's there, right? You yeah, know what I mean, like you're seeing, like the Sean Ryder parts are fucking. It's it, it's just there, so uh, because it's such a production, it kind of kind of comes together. I'm always was always wondering, you know, how they were going to be able to put live shows together. For me, it's tough 
Uh, I have a great relationship with the first Gorillaz album. Demon Days is my number one. It's incredible. I think it's uh, one of the great. It's one of the best albums of the two thousands. You know, I'd have to. I, I enjoy Plastic Beach. I think I may even enjoy this one more than Plastic Beach. Oh wow! To be okay, yeah. Uh, but I enjoy Plastic Beach because, like, I like that there's, a, like, a heavy social commentary with their stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Plastic Beach is very much, in like, an environmentalist album, too. Like, where they're talking about what we're doing to the Earth. Whereas, like, something like Demon Days also talks like that. But it's more like isolation in human society and um, Bush administration politics and, you know, v- gun violence and, and and that kind of thing. Um, I like this because I like this. The reason why I like this so much is that it's just such an exploration. It's so, so much experimentation and it's, that's kind of what I like about them. So albums that weren't as well received like humans, I'm like, but there's like fucking rag and bone is on it. You know what I mean? Like there's so much cool shit. And like, he's working on other albums with George Benson and I love George Benson and I love that. So I like hearing that. I'm not as much as, as judgmental on that because I kind of like hearing the journey for Damon Albarn, I'm not really looking for the end result. I'm looking for, like, what is he doing? Who is he working with? And this was, like, a treasure trove of that. So I'm going to have to say that probably, I mean, D-Sides is good. You didn't, like, Pusha T and, and Vince Staples and, like... Yeah, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, um, that's fantastic. You know, like, that's really cool. Pusha T, like, that is a completely unexpected one. Yeah. Coming out on this. Like, you're just on a... He's just on a plane of cocaine coming in and working with you... David Albarn's like, I gotta stay straight, and a fucking push a tease in there. How do you do that? And it's like, but it's like his rapping is so good. He's a legend. He's one of the best of all time, and it's just fantastic. And I love that that happens. So I mean, if I was to, I, I would say this is among their best records. Yeah, I'd say this is among their best albums. Um, which kind of leads us into what? Are, what is your patented mind refinery cog rating for this? I think I'm gonna give this uh an eight, eight cogs out of 10 um i think it's you know it's really good work um it's really i was really impressed by where they're at um in their musical journey i'm impressed that they matter you know 20 years later 20 some odd years later um and that they could deliver a body work like this you know during the pandemic um and this is something that i'm going to come back to i'm giving this an 8.5 i love it I think it's great. I think the only album I have really thought that there's a couple albums I've thought, you know, like uh, we were doing this before Alfredo dropped and I thought Alfredo would be an 8.5 or like an, or maybe even close to a nine. Um, But, you know, folklore obviously was incredible. I think that's going to end up being the artistic statement for the year, but I love this. This is probably one of my favorite albums that have dropped this year. I'm listening to it. I'm obsessed with it. And I mean, I love humans in the fall and those other albums, like they're good but they're not, like, objectively great. You know what I mean? Like, I love them because I love them and I love the process, and that's kind of, like, my listening bias, if you will. But this is objectively great, and um, it's going down quite well, and I, I think it's fantastic. On that note, over the way, we got to get going. Thanks for having me. As always, I'll do it.